Welcome to the Ministry of Marks podcast. I'm David Haynes, and I'm joined by Thomas Majors. And Thomas, our topic today is fading church traditions. Really, we're going to be talking about church traditions, which may cease in the next 50 years. And honestly, I think that you and I have been in the ministry long enough to see the loosening of some of these traditions. One I think of is is facial hair. Right now, Thomas, I'm not just wearing a full beard. I'm rocking a full beard. (laughs) (laughs) That's to be debated. (laughs) But whenever I first surrendered to the ministry in October 2000, back then I had a shaved head and I had a goatee. And shortly after I made my public call, or shortly after I made my call public, someone came up to me and said, you know, you got to shave that goatee off. And I thought, what? My goatee? And they said, oh yeah, oh yeah. Preacher can't have any facial hair. And I thought that was the gospel truth. I did. I shaved my goatee. I quit shaving my head, let my hair grow back out, what hair was left. And, uh, (laughs) And so I went through that for some time, but we've seen, or I've seen, the lessening of restrictions, even like facial hair. So Thomas, our topic today is fading church traditions. What are your initial thoughts? My first fading church tradition, I believe, will be potluck meals. And so over the next 50 years, I believe we will see potluck meals be done away with. And all of the people (laughs) wept and cried. No, let it not be so. (laughs) Where will we get our banana puddings from and where will we get our casseroles from? (laughs) Casserole pan manufacturers will go out of business. They probably will. That's right. (laughs) But I think potluck meals will come to an end sometime in the future, and I believe it has to do with liability issues. There are some liability issues that we as a church would be be responsible for. There's some great liability issues, and I can think of two of them right now that I'll give to you. The first one would be allergies. There are people who are allergic to certain things. And it seems like, now this is just my opinion, I'm sure it's because I know more people nowadays with allergies than I did back when I was a kid, or I care more now today than (laughs) I did when I was a kid. But it seems like, you know, more and more people are developing allergies, and some of them can be very significant allergies. Imagine just a child or an adult who has a peanut allergy a severe peanut allergy, and then another child or adult come through who's eaten some nabs or made some sandwiches before, and they touch a doorknob, and then that other person comes through and touches a doorknob. So there's some liability issues with allergies and shellfish and somebody getting something that they don't know uh, how it's been prepared. That's right. It can be a great liability for the church. The second thing that Along with that is, you know, those people aren't preparing that food properly. Mm-hmm. That's right. And most churches aren't keeping it at the proper temperature. That's right. Yep. And so there's liability in just the safe handling 
a food. But Thomas, usually we have a fellowship meal on a Sunday. And then by the next Sunday, when people will be gathering to, to give their offering, they could have already had the stomach bug and the, and, and all those things and had that work through their system and food poisoning doesn't last for seven whole days. So they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> but as far as liability goes there, imagine if somebody got sick enough and died. Oh man. And they could link it back to a, a fellowship meal. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Because so most churches have warmers that they use and they try to keep it at a certain temperature, but then they place it out on some type of counter or, you know, island. And then by that last person, maybe 45 minutes after it had been there, it's already dropped its temperature and it can be very unsafe for a person to eat. I believe what we will see instead are churches that will begin to use, um, not necessarily a food service, but they will have people within the church who are certified to to use like surf, serve safe procedures. They will use a hot bar, you know, that has the water in it that they can put food and they'll have like spaghetti and they'll only have a few things for people to pick from. And some larger churches are actually doing that now. And I believe what we're going to see over time is that insurance and other reasons will cause churches to do away with potluck meals. Boy, Thomas is talking about potluck meals. I remember a previous church I served, not Trinity Baptist, but a previous church I served. There was a sweet, sweet lady, and we would have a a potluck meal, and she would often tell me what was hers. Now, you preacher, you need to be sure to get some of this, and she would make sure that I got some of that. And then she would not start eating until I had sat down, and she would look at me. She would watch me until I a bite of hers and I would go, mmm, this, and I would give her the, you know, this sure is good. And then she would, ah, she'd smile and she would go to eating, you know. So are you telling me you think that's going to come to an end in the next 50 years? Oh, I believe so. (laughs) I believe so because of liability issues. That's a really good thought. Thomas, the first one I want to share is, is, is named this loud yet weak preaching. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, way back when, Blue Mountain College, Dr. Douglas Bain, th- this there was a class that I had, uh, he was the professor for, I actually think it was Greek. He didn't teach preaching, but but this went along with preaching. And he said that when he was taking preaching classes, obviously way back when, whenever he was a student, he said that what they were told to do, if there was a weak spot in your sermon, to write in the margin of the sermon, yell. <laughs> yell. And so he said that 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 he was trained that if there's something that you're not sure of, we'll just say it forcefully and everyone will buy in. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> and I believe that over the next 50 years, I hope we see the end of loud yet weak preaching. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I like loud preaching. If you've heard me preach, you might even say that I'm a I'm a loud preacher. And I'm not a stomp and snort kind of guy, but but I'm not monotone, and I believe that I sometimes use volume to my advantage. But I I don't think that it is because of a weak point. It's too often people will say, "Man, that guy was stomping and snorting, so boy, it must have been a good message." Well, let's look at the content. Let's look at the content, and I believe preaching in the future will be, or the content of preaching will be, will be looked at maybe more critically, which will lead us to be better preachers. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a monotone preacher either. And I believe God has given us the full vocal range that we have, whether it be low or high, and be able to articulate our voice in different ways. And we should use that. We should use that to stimulate the hearers, but also because it helps bring the sermon to life in the, right. in the hearers uh, in the hearers' mind and in the hearers' ears. That's right. That's a good place for them to hear. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, what's your second idea? My second is, uh, I think what we will see is a move away from big sanctuaries or or what may even be called formal sanctuaries. You know, a few years ago, churches were building big, huge sanctuaries for all of the people. But actually, what we've seen over the last few years, we've seen the decentralization of the church. That's right. Instead of one big building, churches, and especially large churches, have taken up a model that we would describe as multi-site. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and I'll let all of podcast land know, I don't believe that multi-site churches are a biblical model. That's right. You heard it first here, podcast land. That's right. I don't think it's a biblical model, but I do believe we will see churches abandon the big, huge sanctuaries simply because they cannot maintain them. I also believe we're going to see a, a move in church architecture. Instead of a formal type Southern architecture to the church building, I believe churches will seek function over form. And I believe what I mean by that, I believe churches will begin to care more about proper lighting, about space, about functionality than necessarily having a huge building that can only be used for one thing. I think they'll have a building that they can use for many different things. So that's what I kind of see. Maybe over the next 50 years, we'll see more of a move away from those types of facilities. All right, Thomas, for my second one now, I, I don't want you to throw anything at me. So please put that hymn book in your hand down. I don't want you to hit me with a hymn book upside my head, all right? But I think over the next 50 years, we may see the fading of suits and ties. I really think we may. I think we may see maybe even the end of suits and ties in the majority of our churches. Thomas, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something to you. I don't even own a suit. I don't own a suit. I own about seven sport coats. Now, of two of those sport coats, I have pants that are very similar. And someone might look and say that is a suit, but I don't even own a suit where the where the coat and the pants are the same material. I own zero of those. And I think we're going to see a less formal future in Baptist life. And I think that suits are on their way out. I don't even own one. I think sport coats are the way of the future, but I think there's going to be a lack of ties. Now, right now I'm a, I'm a tie guy. I am a slacks and a jacket and a tie guy on Sunday mornings. On Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, I don't, but on, but on Sunday mornings, I wear a tie probably 95% of our services. Now you're a, you're a suit and tie or a coat and tie guy, right? I have suits and every Every once in a while, maybe once every eight or nine weeks, I will wear a sport coat with some like khaki pants or something. Ah, but I'm a I'm a suit guy. You are a suit guy. See, I knew you were fancy. I wear yeah. I wear a suit and I wear a tie or a bow tie on Sunday morning. On Sunday nights, I do not wear 
uh, a neck piece, you know, a tie or a bow tie. And on Wednesday nights, I've done Bible study on Wednesday nights in blue jeans before. Yeah. It's very casual. I always wear blue jeans on Wednesday. That's that's what that's what I wear. Our, our church is a blue jean church, and on Wednesdays we all wear blue jeans. I, most of our deacons, even elderly deacons, during the summer they wear shorts to our Bible study. And so the the the, the dress code is much more relaxed at Trinity Baptist than I've ever served anywhere else before. You know, Thomas, I, I think it's just a change in in a change in fashion. Uh, currently, I'm I am uh, watching um, the documentary from 1994 by Ken Burns entitled Baseball. And uh, even as stands were filled in the 1890s and the 19-teens, you look up there, you see guys in suits and ties and hats, and you see ladies in formal dresses. And man, they dressed up to go to the ball field. Now we don't dress up to go to the ball field. And I think things are just kind of changing. How many people do you have in your church that wear a suit on Sunday morning? Yeah, okay. We uh, we are in the majority. Uh, now, we, we do a staff thing. Our staff dresses alike. So on Sunday morning, we all wear coats and ties. Me, our associate pastor of worship, of, of, of ministry, uh, our associate pastor of youth and, and missions, our, our, uh, our ministry, uh, our worship pastor. So all three of us do. There might be one, two in the choir. There might be two out in the church. So I'm going to say, not counting us, there's about five guys that wear okay. a suit and tie. So at Holly, there's two. As two, for, okay. two that are regular. Every once in a while, you'll have a guy who comes in with a sport coat on and and he kind of stands out and and I'll joke and I'll say, are you preaching today? What are you, what are you wearing that for? Are you preaching? Do yeah. I need to know that? And and so I am, I am definitely in the minority. Um, even my associate pastor and music minister, they don't wear a suit. Would it benefit you to wear an open collar and just a sport coat? Do you think you'd be more well-received or you don't think it really matters when it comes to the, your preaching ministry? Everyone, th there have been times where not often, but every once in a while, I will wear um, just an open collar. And I've done that on a Sunday morning, but mainly, and I'll be honest with you, the reason I wear a suit I, I would wear a suit regardless. The only thing that I would probably drop would be the neck piece. And the only reason I wear a neck piece is because my wife says, I like the way you look in a tie. Whoa. And so. Uh-huh. Yes, ma'am. That's right. <laughs> so the, the people at Holly, they should think if they want a preacher wearing a neck piece, then they should really thank my That's wife right. because every Sunday she basically says, but honey, I love the way you look in a in a tie, and I'm like, oh shucks, yeah, yeah. I wear one, I wear one. <laughs> yeah, and my wife likes the look of a traditional coat and tie as well. And now you and I differ on something. You prefer slacks, I prefer jeans, dude. I would wear blue jeans every day for the rest of my life if I could. And oh, you're a slacks guy. I'm a slacks. I'm wearing slacks right now. I'm wearing I'm jeans with, right now. Yeah, yeah, and almost all of the time, I'm going to wear slacks. If I'm not wearing shorts during the summer, I'm going to most, more than likely, I'm going to have slacks on. I hate blue jeans because I, they're just not as comfortable to me as slacks. Dude, you haven't worn the right pair. I tell I you, not I, I would not wear slacks again if I didn't have to. I would wear jeans every day if I could. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, what's your next one, man? Wednesday night service. Really? I believe 
the encroachment of sports and other school-related activities will cause the church to lose the opportunity of ministry on Wednesday nights. Yeah, yeah, very well could. I heard John Martin and Ryan Reed spoke about this briefly on the Imperfect Church podcast a few episodes ago from the time we're recording this. We've already experienced this a little bit at my church. There was a school here in Alcorn County that had a basketball tournament on Wednesday night. And of course, we had kids in the program. It was it was strange. It was not normal for them to have a basketball tournament on a Wednesday night, but they did. And so I think what we're going to see over the next 50 years is school-related activities like practice and ball games and rehearsals and recitals and all of those things are going to begin to encroach upon the church. And eventually, I think we're going to lose the opportunity of ministry to students on that Wednesday night. The church that I serve, we have students from six separate schools, six separate schools, including two of those being in Tennessee. So we have a lot to work around when it comes to like baccalaureate services, denials, vacation Bible school, and summer camps. We can't have those until a certain year because Corinth goes through the month of June. And so we actually have to, we're trying to work around school-related activities right now. And I think it's going to even become more difficult for those Wednesday night services. So I kind of agree with John and Ryan when they said, you know, don't give up your Sunday nights because more than likely you're going to lose Wednesday night way before Sunday night. That's a good idea. And and that's that's true. I think I think that's going to happen. You know, that reminds me years ago, whenever I was serving as a youth pastor at a church in Alcorn County, I was in Memphis for something one day and I stopped by Bellevue Baptist Church and I just asked, hey, is there a youth pastor in in, in office? They said, yeah, is it going up? And I, they took me up there to wherever his office was. And I asked him, I said, what do you guys do midweek? He said, well, he said, we were having some struggles on Wednesday nights. He said, because of, because of school issues. He said, so this semester, he said, we are backing our midweek youth service up to Tuesday. He said, we're doing our Tuesday night youth services, he said, and just letting Wednesday night go. And so they they were dealing with that. Golly, man, that's been at least 14 years ago. Oh, and yeah. so sure, I'm, I'm sure. And even the larger cities, you'll, you'll find it even, even more. So that's good, Thomas. My last, my last fading church tradition is knocking on doors, knocking on doors. It is something that I don't do enough of. I need to do more of it, but it is the bread and butter of what I've done uh, strategically as a ministry, I love knocking on doors. I have learned tricks of the trade. I've learned not to give a dog, uh, show him your fingers, he'll bite those, he won't bite a fist. And so you speak to a dog with your fist out and you can tell if it's a nice dog or not. And uh, I've learned so many things through knocking on doors and I met so many great, great people but there's a shift. There's a shift. About three years ago was the first time I had someone come to their door and they and they would talk to me through the door. They wouldn't even open the door. Hi, I'm David Haynes. I'm the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church. This was a lady in Fulton, Mississippi. She said, oh, I'm so glad that you stopped by. Thank you so much. My husband is a deacon at such and such church just down the road. And uh, we spoke to the door. I have no idea what she looked like. She never opened the door, didn't unlock the door. We just talked. And I said, well, ma'am, I've got a card. And I said, I'm going to leave this card right here on your doorstep. And next time you come outside, you can pick it up. And if you ever need us for anything, let us know. And as soon as that happened, I thought, times are a-changing. 
times are changing. While I was doing my dissertation research, I was talking with with talk with many churches. I talked with a staff member who said this. This was so very interesting. He had been on this church staff for a long time, over two decades, and he said, "25 years ago, we had evangelism teams. Had this church is humongous." This church is one of the most growing churches in our state. This church has it going on. This church is extremely evangelistic. He said, 25 years ago, we had evangelism teams. He said, we don't have them anymore. He said, in our city, he said, it's hard to get people to come to the door. And the city that he lives in is, is a high crime area. He said, we don't do it. He said, we abandoned evangelism teams. He said, we we never have anybody that goes out and knocks on a door. He said, we have discipleship groups. And he said, what I have learned, he said, is if your discipleship is right, he said, then it'll take care of the evangelism. And so I think what the Lord is doing is he, as God is allowing the, the, the time period or the culture of knocking on doors to end, the Lord is training us up with D groups to say, we're not going to go out, but we're going to be in our communities. And why don't you 14 people come to my house every Tuesday night as we study through this book? And it's a different way of evangelism is what he led me to think. And also, I mean, it's a safety issue for both sides, really. It's a safety issue for the person who opens the door. And it's a safety issue for the people who go to the door. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, and as I've been thinking through liability issues with the church, you know, I think it is anything that you put on your calendar that you have people do, that it gets put on the calendar, becomes an official church function, and you have to insure people. And so if a person is on this evangelism team, and they go out, and then there's something that happens. The church, there could be an argument that the church is liable because it was an official church sanctioned event that was calendared. Definitely something to think about. Fading church traditions. Well, some of them we know that uh, we don't really want them to go. Man, I love my potluck meals. Amen to that. I love knocking on those doors. You never know what you're going to get in either one of them, <laughs> whether you're knocking on a door or it's opening up a casserole dish. <laughs> but they could. They could fade in the next 50 years. And all we have to do is wait to see what's going to happen. The Lord's going to take care of His church, and He's going to work everything out. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. Join us again next time.